Hey, doll. Hey, doll. I'm your host, Paula. And I'm your host, Cynthia. And we are Dolls Dolls and Doom. Doom. Paula, as you know, those of us who are totally obsessed with true crime, we all have these, like, types of crimes that really get to us the most, right? Oh, yeah, of course. Like, some people I know, they can't stand to hear about unsolved cases because they hate that lack of resolution. For me, I don't like the cases... Not that anybody likes them, but I have a really hard time hearing about cases against, like, little children, specifically little boys. Like, I never cover cases about little boys. It's just too close to home. Right. Do you have any that are, like, the hardest for you to hear or the most interesting for you? I would say the hardest are probably the children. Yes. And I would say the most interesting is when you peel back a layer and there's more questions. Okay. Frustrating, but very interesting. Very interesting, yes. Well, for me, my actual, the type of case that just gets to me the most, the, the ones that I cannot get enough of that keep me up at night are the missing persons cases. So today, I'm going to tell you one of these stories. I'm going to tell you the story of Lars Mitank, who is also known as the most famous missing person on YouTube. So Lars Matank was born on February 9th, 1986 in Berlin. And growing up, he loved to be outdoors. Uh, He enjoyed hunting. He liked fishing. He was very close with his family, very close with his friends. And he continued to be that way his preteen, teen years. So much so that on June 30th, 2014, at the age of 28, Lars and a handful of his school friends, and I think it was five men in total, all in their late 20s, they all went on a trip together to Varna, Bulgaria. And there they stayed at a place called the Golden Sands Resort, which is on the coast of the Black Sea. That sounds really nice. It is. I actually Googled pictures of it, and it kind of reminds me of like a Florida beach, only mountains in the background. Yeah. It's beach, and then it's you can tell there's like looks very touristy gotcha. but then behind that mountains beautiful so, yeah kind of the best of both worlds so at one point during this trip Lars and his buddies were out at a bar when Lars got into an altercation with a group of four men because they had opposite opinions on which soccer club was better so these guys really took their sports really seriously and I think soccer is actually our football Oh, I think it's our what we call football. Right. Apparently, these teams were something all these guys just really were passionate about because they took it so seriously that they got in this fight. Now, Lars ended up leaving the bar before the rest of his friends did, and they didn't see him again until this next morning. He stayed out all night. But when he finally got back to the Golden Sands Resort, that's when he told his friends that he had been beaten up. Now, we've all learned by now. You've talked about it before on this podcast that witness accounts can often differ. Several people can witness the same exact occurrence, but when they retell the story later, they may remember different details and have a slightly different story, right? Oh, yeah, very true. I remember that story where you and your boyfriend saw the same thing and you both had completely different ideas of what you'd seen. Yes. So it's no surprise that when talking to his friends later, authorities found that when they retold the events of this evening, not everybody's story matched up perfectly. 
So some of his buddies told the authorities that Lars was beaten up by the same group of men that he had argued with inside the bar. But then others said it was their understanding that the men had hired a Russian or Bulgarian man to beat Lars up for them. And then there was another account that said Lars had told them he had been in two different fights, one with the four men from the bar and then a second fight with the Russian or the Bulgarian man. And the friend who relayed this particular story actually didn't think it was true. He felt it was a little more maybe bragging or exaggerating. He didn't actually believe that Lars had been in two separate fights. But either way, Lars walked away from this fight with a pretty significant head injury, although he didn't realize the severity of the injury at the time. He's on vacation. Now, have you ever gotten sick or injured while you're on vacation? Not really, no. I mean, the occasional headache, but that happens all the time. Okay. Well, good. Good for you, because it's no fun, I can tell you. I actually have. I've gotten sick. I was pregnant, and I was very, very, very sick. And my first instinct was just to ignore it, because you're on vacation, (laughs) and you don't want to have to deal with things like sickness and not feeling well. You just want to have fun. And so when he got hurt, the last thing Lars wanted to do was have to go to the doctor while he's on vacation. So at first, he just tried to ignore this head injury and let it heal on its own. But when he didn't start to feel better, he eventually did agree to go see a local doctor. And there, Lars was diagnosed with an injured jaw, a perforated eardrum, and a possible concussion. Oh my gosh. Yeah, he was, he was really hurt. Yeah, seriously hurt. So this doctor prescribed him 500 milligrams of the antibiotic Cefprazil, And these antibiotics were to prevent his wounds from becoming infected. So I'm assuming he may have even had like some open wounds. In addition to giving Lars this medication, this doctor told him that it was not safe for him to fly with these injuries as the pressure from flying could cause him really intense pain and possibly even further injure his eardrum. The doctor actually went as far as to recommend that Lars spend the next few days recovering in a hospital. But of course, on vacation, Lars did not want to do that. He did, however, agree to not fly until he was better healed. But they were scheduled to leave Bulgaria, he and his friends. So Lars' friends offered to stay back with him in Bulgaria for a few days so that Lars wouldn't have to stay behind by himself. But for some reason, and I really don't know why... Maybe he was just trying to be a good friend. Maybe he didn't want to interfere with their plans. But Lars told his friends that he didn't want them to stay behind. And he eventually did convince them to keep their originally scheduled flight home. And he decided to stay in Bulgaria by himself for a few extra days. So Lars checked out of the hotel on the same day as his friends. But while they boarded their plane for home, Lars checked into another hotel near the airport called the Hotel Color Varna. Now, after his friends left, other people who didn't even know Lars started noticing him because he started acting a bit strangely, so much so that it really stood out. Okay, so this part of the story really kind of reminds me of the Elisa Lamb case. And I know you talked about Elisa Lamb on one of our earlier episodes. Totally bizarre facts there. Mm -hmm. And here, just like in that case... Hotel elevator surveillance caught Lars acting a bit strangely. 
So I wasn't able to view any of this footage from the hotel myself, but allegedly hotel cameras captured Lars on video hiding inside the elevator and just acting strangely. He was seen looking out the windows in the foyer as if he was looking for something or for someone. He was seen pacing back and forth. And this was actually in the middle of the night when he was seen doing these things. I've seen two conflicting reports about him leaving the hotel. So some sources say he left the hotel at 1 a.m. and returned an hour later and no one knew where he went or what he did during that hour. But then other sources say that surveillance caught him leaving the hotel at midnight and he didn't return for several hours. And at first I thought both of these scenarios were pretty weird. Why would you leave a hotel alone in a foreign country in the middle of the night? Right. But then I started realizing I was looking at it from like a 39-year-old tired mom's point of view. Oh, uh, I understand what you're saying. <laughs> yep. What would you have done as a 28-year-old on vacation? Because I remember the days like when a night out didn't even start until when I'm now getting ready for bed. Exactly. How about you? <laughs> oh, completely the same. So I do think it might be possible that he was leaving the hotel maybe to go visit a bar or a club. And for me... That would kind of add up for a 28-year-old on vacation. Yeah, for me too. Okay, so during this time that he was in Bulgaria alone, Lars called his mother. And while he was on the phone with her, he whispered into the phone that people were trying to rob and kill him. He also said that he was being followed and that he was looking for a place to hide. So now this is like really concerning. And this actually makes me really question why he would leave the safety of his hotel room while in a foreign country alone in the middle of the night if he was feeling threatened. Oh, yeah. That makes me question, you know, that move. Now, his mom became even more worried about Lars when he followed up this phone call with a text asking her to block his credit and debit cards so they wouldn't get stolen. He also asked her a lot of questions about the antibiotic that he'd been prescribed. I don't have details, but I assume he was asking her questions like, you know, maybe what is it used for? Did she know of any side effects? He may have even asked her to look up potential side effects. We don't really know. He may or may not have had internet connection. I don't know. I'm just speculating here, but I do know that there have been times when I've traveled where I haven't had a good connection to, like, research things. Oh, yeah. So on July 8th, 2014, the day had come for Lars to go home. So he made the short trip from the hotel to the Varna airport by taxi, and when he got to the airport, he texted his mother to let her know that he'd made it to the terminal. Before getting on the plane, he met with the airport physician to check up on his injuries and make sure it was safe for him to fly home. He walked into the doctor's office, he put a suitcase and all of his belongings in the floor, and he sat down on a chair. Now, I don't know if it was required for him to see this doctor before he got on the plane or if maybe he just decided to go on his own, but this doctor did tell him it was safe for him to fly home. And you would think that this would bring some type of relief, right? Yeah, you'd think so. You know, let the anxiety fade a bit. But according to this doctor, Lars continued to seem really uneasy 
He looked really nervous and he just kept asking a bunch of questions specifically about this medication that he was taking, this antibiotic. And he was, he was just acting really erratic and the doctor noticed this really erratic behavior. So in my opinion, there's something about this medication that was disturbing to Lars. Like he had all those questions for his mom. Then again, he's questioning the doctor about the medication. So to me, that tells me something about it was bothersome to him. And I I just find that interesting. I personally am one of those people who I, I don't like taking any kind of drugs, any kind of medications. I'll only do it as a last resort. But, you know, sometimes you've got to take an antibiotic. Especially when you've had an injury like his. Right. So I don't understand, like, what all the stress was about. Unless it made him not feel good or he didn't like some of the side effects. I really don't understand why he was so stressed out about taking an antibiotic. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, that there's some kind of weird side effect that he just can't take. Right. So according to an article in Mel Magazine, at this time, the airport was undergoing refurbishment. And during Lars's consultation with the doctor... A construction worker entered the office and overheard Lars saying, quote, I don't want to die here. I have to get out of here, end quote. He said it appeared that Lars was trembling when he saw him. This construction worker then saw Lars jump out of his chair, leaving all of his belongings except for the clothes on his back laying on the floor, and he ran down the hall and then outside the airport. Once outside, he kept running down a sidewalk until he got to a fence, which he climbed over and then ran into some woods. There was like this forest that kind of surrounded the airport. This was the last time anyone ever saw Lars Mittink alive, and it was all captured on airport security footage. Now, authorities released this airport CCTV footage in an attempt to gain information about Lars or his disappearance, and the footage was eventually uploaded to YouTube and has since attracted more than 16 million viewers. In it, he can be seen wearing a yellow t-shirt, jean shorts, and white sneakers. In his luggage that he left behind were his cell phone, his passport, and his wallet. So this July in 2022, Lars will have been missing for eight years, and despite some pretty compelling leads and his mother publicly pleading for any information that anyone may have, we really don't know any more today than we did the day he disappeared. So I told you in the beginning that his friends that he had been vacationing with were interviewed by authorities, and that was, of course, after he disappeared. But the only thing that they could say that stuck out to them, besides the fight, of course, that he got into, was that Lars didn't seem to eat a lot on this trip. Other than that, he acted totally normal. They saw nothing unusual. All right, so there's this doctor named Dr. Todd Grande, and he's a certified mental health counselor who has a pretty popular YouTube channel. And on this channel, he analyzes a lot of people like from pop culture. And I really enjoy watching him talk about current events and, you know, these different public personalities. Well, he covered Lars's case on his channel. So one of the popular theories is that Lars was looking for an excuse to escape his old life. And that might explain why he persuaded his friends to go ahead and leave him alone in Berlin so that he would have this opportunity to run away and start over. But Dr. Grande doubts this because Lars was on really good terms with his loved ones. His friends offered to reschedule their flight, so they obviously cared about him. He texted his mother throughout the trip, 
And Lars also didn't take anything with him when he fled, leaving his passport, his phone, his wallet all behind. He was in a foreign country, which, you know, it makes the idea of running away voluntarily a little less likely. I agree. Other sources suggest that Lars may have been a victim of human trafficking. So Bulgaria has one of the highest rates of human trafficking in the European Union. And there are cases where locals and tourists have been taken against their will and forced into sex work, drug smuggling, or even used as slaves. They've also been killed for their organs. Oh my gosh. Yeah, pretty scary. Yeah. So some sources have suggested that the men who attacked Lars were actually involved in drug or organ trafficking, and they may have actually been pursuing him to be used in their trafficking ring. If Lars or any of his friends were either voluntarily or forcibly working as drug mules, it would stand to reason that the authorities might find some drugs among his personal belongings. But they didn't. However, it's also been suggested that his friends who flew back without him were the ones who had the drugs, and Lars was actually forced to stay behind as some sort of insurance. Okay. So it's an interesting theory, but there's absolutely no evidence at all to support this claim. So this leads us to another possibility, that maybe Lars actually was killed. Remember, Lars had told his mother someone was after him, someone was trying to rob him and kill him. A lot of fellow armchair sleuths have posted their theories online, and it seems to be a pretty popular theory that maybe those men he fought at the bar were still after him. And if they were, it could explain why Lars ran away, and it could also explain why no one ever found his body, because maybe they did a, you know, a good job of disposing and hiding it. Another theory holds that Lars could have been under the influence of drugs around the time of his disappearance. A lot of people believe that that antibiotic, which he had been prescribed to treat his ruptured eardrum, possibly combined with another substance, like an illegal substance, might have led him to suffering a psychotic episode. That's exactly what I was thinking. Really? Yeah, that the prescribed medication Mm -hmm. was not mixing well with alcohol or drugs. Okay. And it was giving him like a psychotic episode. Okay. See, I never thought of that, but I guess you're right because a lot of antibiotics a lot of medications you can't mix with alcohol and stuff and you've got a bunch of single guys on a vacation they're not gonna not have that beer right i can only assume that they're drinking right so that could ring true absolutely and actually dizziness restlessness and hyperactivity are listed as common side effects of this particular drug that he had been prescribed And it even had components in it that were known to induce psychotic side effects, including hallucinations and paranoia. However, that's really rare, but possible. But again, if you're having a beer, it could really up that chance. Right. There's all kinds of things that he could have possibly taken. We don't know he was alone. There's all kinds of things he could have possibly taken that would make you live in a different reality. Exactly. Whether or not you're on medication or not. Right. I don't know if he, you know, experimented with any of those things. I don't know. Nothing's been mentioned that he was doing drugs or anything like that. But I guess we have to keep it as a possibility. So on top of these known side effects, studies suggest that acute psychosis can actually be a potential adverse effect of many different antibiotics. And this could explain how 
the behavior of someone with no history of mental illness could have changed so suddenly because there was no history whatsoever of any kind of mental illness with Lars. Now, if Lars was suffering from psychosis, it's possible the medicine he had been taking may not have even been the direct cause because some people think if Lars had actually suffered from a concussion, that that could have led to his strange behavior. But according to Dr. Grande, it's actually really rare that a concussion causes psychosis-type symptoms, and when it does, those symptoms don't generally appear until weeks, months, or even years later. Interesting. I know. I did not know that at all. So it is very rare that those symptoms show up immediately, but in those cases where the symptoms do present within just a few hours, they are normally accompanied by other symptoms that the physician should have noticed when he examined Lars at the airport. So in his YouTube video, Dr. Grande proposes that Lars may have experienced something called first break psychosis, also called the onset of something like schizophrenia. So it would be like the beginning, the first symptom. symptom. Yeah, it's the first time. Yeah, it's the first time they've ever acted as if they had schizophrenia. Gotcha. Episode. That's the word I was looking for. It's the first episode. So this could explain his paranoia, his delusions, and his anxiety. And it could also explain the bizarre behavior that he displayed in that video that we can watch on YouTube. Now, while Dr. Grande does think that the psychosis theory is the most convincing of all of the ones I've listed so far, he also says that it does not explain why Lars ran away or why his body was never found. Because paranoia actually doesn't generally cause someone to run away, at least not to the extent that Lars did. It can cause someone to run for a short period of time, like from a perceived threat, but to leave everything behind and run away permanently, like Lars did, would have been completely unusual. The fact that he was never found is also really hard to explain under these circumstances. He didn't have any means to get anywhere. Remember that cell phone, wallet, passport all left behind. So him going very far seems really unlikely. Lars's mother, Sandra, continues to, you know, seek leads on her son's disappearance to this very day, as of course she would as a mother. And despite years of investigation from the BKA, which is Germany's federal criminal police office, Lars remains missing. Every now and then, an internet troll or an amateur sleuth or a concerned citizen who watched Lars's video on YouTube claims to have seen him somewhere in the world. Every year, around 10,000 people go missing in Germany alone. And although 50% of all missing person cases are resolved within less than a week, less than 3% are actually found within a year. Lars has been missing for almost eight So in 2016, police in Porto Velho, Brazil, picked up a man with no identification and apparently no idea who he was. So once an image of this man started circulating, it was an image of him in the hospital recovering because he had no idea who he was, it made it to social media and online sleuths started noticing that he had very similar features to Lars. Now this man was later identified as Anton Pilipa of Toronto, and he'd been missing for five years. In 2019, a truck driver picked up a man in Dresden, Germany, and then dropped him off in Brandenburg, which is really close to Lars's hometown of Berlin. 
Now, as reported by the Berlin Spectator, the truck driver said that this man strongly resembled an older version of Lars Metank. The truck driver said the man he drove had long hair, a beard, tired eyes, and his face was gaunt. Lars's mother, Sandra, said that her son had certainly aged since he went missing and will likely appear disheveled in stark contrast to the photos in all of the missing posters. And I will tell you, when you look at, you know, a picture of him, he's very clean cut, very handsome. So, you know, if he's been on the run, possibly with a head injury, doesn't know who he is for eight years, it's very probable he will look very different than he did Oh yeah, in those very different pictures, yeah. So she's specifically asking people in Berlin and Brandenburg to please keep an eye out for anyone who may resemble Lars. In the years since he went missing, she's heard hundreds of similar claims that he'd been seen in numerous locations throughout the world. The reports have given her hope that her son may still be alive. However, she thinks he may have suffered from memory loss if he is alive, because why wouldn't he have come home otherwise? Right. Sanders appeared on countless television and radio shows. She's promoted his missing person case in any ways she possibly can. And her pleas to find her son have been aired on both German and Bulgarian channels, but unfortunately never produced any results. Undaunted, she continues to post messages on social media. There's a Facebook group, over 41,000 people strong, called Find Lars Matank that also regularly post and apparently design and post flyers in locations around Europe, all in an effort to find the world's most famous missing tourist. As reported by All That's Interesting, several law enforcement agencies, including Germany's BKA and Federal Crime Police Office, have been working on, on Lars's case. And the case has gained a lot of interest on social media, but unfortunately, a vast majority of the reported sightings that have been reported all over the world have been ruled out and there's been no real trace of Lars Matank ever found. So it's just devastating. It is. That is so sad. Right. What do you think may have happened? Well, like I said, the, the medication that he was on plus a beer or who knows if he was experimenting with other drugs could have been a really bad combination or the guys that he was in the fights with, or at least one fight with, could have, you know, maybe he got the upper hand and they didn't like that, so they came looking for him. Mm, and that's okay. why he said, they're following me. I think they're going to kill me. Okay. You know, maybe he saw them following him. I think that's a possibility. Okay. I mean, with this kind of a situation, there's just no way to tell. And without a body, we can't do an autopsy to find out what was in his system. Right. So we'll never know. Do you lean towards foul play or maybe just tragic accident or... I'm not sure. I mean, both of those theories to me are very probable, so I'm, I'm kind of 50-50 either way. Okay. I lean towards him having some kind of a psychotic episode, whether it was actual diagnosable something that would have come up later in his life or maybe from the head injury or maybe a side effect of the, the medications. But something happened where he wasn't his normal self mentally. He got scared. He ran. Because of where he ran, running into the woods not in his right mind will say I think it's very possible that maybe he could have gotten injured and somehow just maybe even like died of dehydration or you know something like that yeah and then succumbed to the elements and for whatever reason his body was just never found that's kind of what I lean towards I do think it's interesting he got in a fight 
and then you know kept saying people were following him and, and stuff like that but I don't know if you thought somebody was following you and trying to kill you wouldn't you stay in your hotel room I would he was looking he was out in the lobby looking you know he's leaving the hotel he's doing these things whereas if I actually thought somebody was following me I would stay hold up until I could get out of there kind of thing so right or unless he met somebody had a date and he was in the lobby and he was trying to leave but then he saw them that's possible and he was just determined to make this date yeah there's so many possibilities so many possibilities so that's the case of Lars Matank but the kind of silver lining are the stories where you said these people were found like the one guy after five years yeah. that's incredible isn't that amazing yes and it's stories like that like we li- at least for me I can't speak for others but I listen to these cases and I think well he's obviously dead you know he's been gone for eight years nobody's heard from him he didn't have anything with him but then you hear these stories where you know somebody is alive after all these years and has been and has been homeless and just didn't know who they were because they had some brain injury or something and they didn't exactly. know who they were and they've been living homeless for six years and meanwhile they have a family on the other side of the country or in another country or wherever missing them and looking and you know they're eventually reunited yeah so it is possible these things do happen so hopefully he's still out there and hopefully he comes home that would be great that'd be amazing do you have anything for our time to kill segment yes i do lovely okay back in 1912 a house in viscilla iowa was the site of a multiple murder spree. Oh, I know exactly what house you were talking about. Okay. So the Moore family and two guests were asleep in their beds. On June 9th, sometime after midnight, two adults and six children died by blunt force trauma to the head by an axe. A long investigation turned up several suspects. One of them was actually tried twice. The first trial resulted in a hung jury, and the second he was acquitted. The murders were never solved to this day. The house was purchased in 1994 and restored as a tourist stop for those hoping to have a paranormal experience. It's been called one of America's most haunted places by paranormal investigators. Guests have reported emotional and physical disturbances during their visits and overnight stays. Some have seen a man roaming the halls with an ax and heard children screaming which on his own is terrifying, but it gets much darker. In November of 2014, a group of friends stayed in the house to investigate its supernatural history. One of the guys, Robert Larson Jr., called for help on his two-way radio. When his friends found him, he was bleeding from self-inflicted stab wounds. They called 911 and he was helicoptered to a hospital. According to the sheriff's office, Robert was stabbed around 12.45 a.m., which is the approximate time of the Moore murders back in 1912. Robert recovered and has never publicly spoken about what happened that night. The Viscilla House is still open for tours and overnight stays, if you dare. (laughs) Okay, would you dare? No. No, me neither. I might do like a daytime tour with yeah, like sure. a group of people like uh-huh. you and me and the tour guide, but overnight, no way. No, I wouldn't either. Now, I went to the Lizzie Borden house and awesome. it was honestly the creepiest thing about it was when they showed the photos. Okay. Because, you know, they're pretty graphic. 
so I remember being like, yuck, that makes me feel yucky looking at these photos. But being in the house did not make me feel, I didn't feel anything. Like, okay. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. There's something about this house, this Vasquilla house, just looking at the photos makes me feel creeped out. So I don't know what the difference is, but I would not want to stay there at all. Now, I don't think I would want to stay in the Lizzie Borden house either, just because something really horrible did happen there. And it's right. like, you know, ugh. but this axe murder house, no way, I can tell you. Mm-mm. And those two guests were kids. Yeah. That were staying, little girls. Yep. Yeah, pretty awful. There's several movies about this, documentaries, but there's also, I can't think of the name of it, but I just watched it not too long ago. And it's like a not a documentary it's like a like a movie dramatic movie yeah. about it but about it being like haunted and stuff it's more of like a ghost movie okay see so i want to watch that now yeah yeah i've seen a documentary about the more mm-hmm. murders but when i was you know strolling through the internet i saw the story about their group of friends and the one that was supposedly self-inflicting stab wounds on himself at the same time that's just so crazy to I me i know and i'd heard that i've heard that but only recently I can't remember where I heard it. and But there's a question. Did he do it to himself because he wanted to, like, get the attention? Or did something else cause him to do it to himself? And the fact that he hasn't spoken out about it since makes me think he wasn't doing it for attention. Like, you know what I mean? Right. Like, it scared him so much he doesn't even want to talk about it. Right. That you was my first mean? impression, too. Because would... if you're trying to get attention, then of course you're going to go to the media afterwards. Oh, yeah, this is what happened. Yeah. You know, because you want the attention. Right. Just looking at the pictures of that house creeps me out. It just looks dark and scary. Mm-hmm. All right. Good time to kill. Well, thanks, guys, for listening. Please check out our website for pictures and for links corresponding to each episode at dollsanddoom.com. Follow us on social media and leave us a comment. And stay alive so you don't end up on the wrong side of the grass.